Welcome to Count Me In with Ellen Deanna. Today we have a lively and joyful conversation with Dr. Alicia Prieto Longarica, Professor of Mathematics at Youngstown State University. Alicia grew up in Mexico where she competed in the Mexican Mathematical Olympiad. She earned her undergraduate degree in mathematics from the University of Texas at Dallas and her PhD from the University of Texas Arlington. Her research focuses on the intersection of mathematics and biology, specifically problems related to the medical field. She is one of the four co-founders of Latisms, a website that features Hispanic and Latinx mathematicians, their research, and their contributions. She received the MAA's Henry L. Alder Award for Distinguished Teaching in 2019. This conversation with Alicia highlights the importance of compassion and empathy in the classroom and beyond, the role of a far-reaching vision for mathematics in the community, and the value of a creative space to explore mathematics and ideas. So please join us as we talk with Alicia. Well, welcome to our podcast. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and Alicia, we usually like to start with asking you to tell your story. Yeah, that's like, I, I, I saw that and I'm like, that, I mean, I don't know, like, where do you start? Like, I was born. Um, yeah. <laughs> the start that's was a good place. <laughs> that's a good place. Um, I was born and raised in Mexico. Um, so... I'm from a middle class family that sometimes was not like was under middle class and that evolved to being a little bit like middle class by now. But uh, mm-hmm. I was the first child. Um, my mom had me when she was 19. Like she got married to my dad when she was 19 and my dad was 30, mm-hmm. uh, which my dad always says like, yeah, she tricked me. I didn't know what I was doing. She just like tricked me into marrying her. <laughs> <laughs> that, no. Uh, so they they told them they couldn't have kids. So I think they were just getting to like enjoy being married and then I was on the way. Um, <laughs> so so I I was my mom's doll. Like she really like when we, we grew up, she used to uh play tea with me. Like I don't know, she used to like see me as like a little doll, you know, like uh-huh. somebody to play with because she was so young. And now, like being so much older than my mom back then, I'm like, wow, how did she do it? By the yeah. age of 24, having three kids is just insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, when I was growing up, um, we were lucky to go to private school. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, it was because it was a school that my dad had gone to, which was a Catholic school. Um, and they had like this Montessori system, which like I love because I just got to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And like, who does not love that? Um, <laughs> But they had really cool, like, math stuff, like, mm-hmm. math touching things. Right. So I very much enjoy math uh, until that I was in third grade and they switched schools. And I didn't like math anymore. But, like, that, like, doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, and um, touching math, that, to me, that was, like, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that school was a private school, but, like, private school sounds weird because in Mexico it's kind of different. Like, they're not, like, super expensive schools. They're just schools that you pay a little bit to go to. Mm-hmm. Some some are really expensive, but this one was like. Um, but then my grandfather, uh, my dad's father, wanted us to learn how to speak English. Um, so up until then, I had I knew how to say the colors maybe, and that was mm-hmm. pretty much it. So in third grade, uh, they decided to change it to a school which uh, was a house, and they made that into a school. Mm-hmm. The, the, how, the the face of pain is because it's really painful where you're growing up and you just are hyper and you want to move around and you're stuck in a house for a whole year. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it was a nice school, but like, it was just too small. 
um, and that in that place, uh, I, I guess the reasoning was, oh, they don't know how to speak English, so they'll just hold them one grade and then it will, they will be fine. Uh -huh. So I'm just going to have classes in English like almost the entire day. Uh -huh. It's a language that I speak like three words, you know, the <laughs> colors and maybe the numbers up until 10. And you're just going to stick me in class and you're going to be talking about science and stuff. And I remember my first day of class really, really well because I sat down uh, and I had a friend like, well, not a friend, a, a classmate that I never met before. And the teacher says, blah, 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 blah. And I have no clue what she's saying. So I turn around to my friend and says like, ¿Qué dijo? Like, in Spanish, like, what did she say? She's like, oh, take your notebook out. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. I'll take my notebook out. So put my notebook on the table. And then she says, uh, blah, blah, blah. She turn around to my friend. What did she say? She's like, write a composition about your summer. Then <laughs> <laughs> I open my notebook and I'm like, summer good. <laughs> Sun. I mean, what else? I swear I had like, maybe two sentences for the whole composition. And then the next day I had hepatitis. Oh. So then I was off for like two weeks. Um, and this was like a really competitive school with like all in English and all hard. So that was kind of rough at the beginning, but mm -hmm. I guess I learned how to speak English then. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Um, and then in Mexico between sixth grade and seventh grade is like between elementary school and middle school. Mm -hmm. So I had to go to another school. Um, and in the transition, uh, because I wasn't very good at math, like I liked math when we were doing Montessori, but then after that, like math was something that I had to memorize mm -hmm. and that, that you just had to like, I don't know. So I wanted to be a scientist, but not, or like I, I like science, but not math. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that middle summer, and because I was like, believe it or not, I was like painfully shy. Um, and I was going to go to a school that I knew nobody. Uh, my mom was like, you're just going to go to the summer program and learn more math and have friends. And I was like, that was terrified. For me, meeting people was like the most terrifying thing that you could do, right? Like um, the shyness, I think I have to give my mom a lot of credit. Mm -hmm. She really pushed me not to be like, to be social, right? Like, mm -hmm. like when I was, before I, I was a teenager, she would make me make uh, prank calls. She would make prank calls with me. So she wanted me to be, be like normal kid. And I, I was just like following orders and following like, and in this country following orders and that's a good thing, right? But in Mexico, nobody follows any orders. Like we all like do what, you know, like there's instructions and nobody reads them. Um, that's why when I came to the US, everybody was like, oh, it makes sense. She wants to go to the place where people follow orders. <laughs> and people are on time. Yes, yes. Those are my two things. I'm always on time and I always follow orders. Yeah. I was not a rebel, not a, so yeah, that summer I, mm -hmm. I started doing this math camp kind mm -hmm. of thing. And yes, I was really shy and it was hard for me to meet people. But once I met people, I'm me, right? So I'm like really loud and like, like really yeah, kind of out, not outgoing, but like, I don't know. So me and my friends were being annoying to the teacher. <laughs> There's no other way of saying it. So I know when my students are annoying, it's just, playing karma because like I was the most <laughs> annoying student we were being annoying to the teacher and he was getting like really irritated with us so he mm -hmm. turned around and says okay you nobody goes to recess until you finish this problem and it was like a congruence problem like he didn't put it like that it was something about a a cord that an astronaut had and they would wrap it up two by two meters and you had an extra meter 
and then three by three, and you had uh, th- two extra meters, and mm-hmm. all the way to like six to six by six, and you had five. And you knew that it was less than a hundred meters. You need to find it. So everybody started like just trying to figure this out, and I sat there and I was like, I'm. I don't feel like thinking too much. So what's the easiest way of doing this the fastest, right? So then I thought like, oh, five by five, you have four. So it's like, it ends in a four or a nine, but it has to end in a nine because it can end in a four because it's even. So mm-hmm. like I did my reasoning and I came up with the answer really quickly. And mm-hmm. I was like, we can go to recess. Like I was like all excited. And the guy asked me like, how did you get it? And I explained and he was like, you need to come to the Mad Olympias. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like, if the purpose of this was for me to make friends, hmm, coming to the Mad Olympias might not be the best for my social life. But somehow, like, he called my mom and convinced her that it was going to be a great place to meet men. Oh, because also, like, my mom really wanted me to get married and have kids. So, like, this meeting really smart men with a lot of earning potential was, like, the way to go with my mom. So, like, <laughs> you know, meet great men. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I started going to the Mad, uh, to the, uh, mad Club. Uh-huh. And um, in the state competition for the Mad Olympias in Mexico, every state gets to bring six students. Mm-hmm. But because my school was middle school and high school, the middle school got to bring six and the high school got to bring six. Mm-hmm. And the middle school didn't have a lot of people interested because it was a high school competition. Mm-hmm. So they only had five people. So then the guy was like, you should be the six. And I'm like, ah, I, I, I really. And then he told me, they give you a little lunch and it has chips. <laughs> it has chips on it. And my like in my house, because I've always been too chubby, and my mom, again, you wanna marry somebody, right? So you gotta be like really good looking, you gotta put makeup, you gotta go out. So eating chips was not allowed. Eating mm-hmm. anything not healthy was not allowed. So I was like, I get to have chips. Like I've always loved food. I was like, yeah, I'm going. So what he didn't tell me is that they don't give you the food till after an hour and a half. So <laughs> it's like a four and a half hour exam and you have five problems. And I'm like, they're just waiting for the chips. So I remember pulling out the exam and thinking, can't do any of this. It's they look really hard, but they haven't brought the chips. So I'm just going to wait here. And then thinking, okay, I'm going to draw. Thinking, okay, I'm bored. Let me get the problem. So but the problems out back. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll try this one. And then I'll just try it one. And then they still wouldn't bring the chips. And I, there were like 40 rooms, maybe, filled with like 40 students each, something like that. Mm-hmm. And we were like one of the last to get the food. And I, I kept seeing people getting food, but we didn't get the food. So I was like, okay, as soon as I get the food, I leave. Let me just, so I did a few problems. And as soon as I got the food, like by the hour number two, I just left. I was like, I'm done. Clearly, mm-hmm. I'm not good for this, but I have my chips now. So I went outside. <laughs> And the coach was outside. The teacher was the same guy that gave me that first problem. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what did you do? And I was like, I got my chips. <laughs> and he was, what did you do on the test? And I explained a little bit. And he's like, well, you might get some points. So you may, maybe we're looking at like a, like a bronze medal or something. And then two weeks later, they called me that I got a gold. And I was like, but how? Like, Wow. It doesn't make any sense. I just went for the chips. <laughs> And the, after that, I was the first uh, seventh grader to ever win this thing mm. or 11th graders. So like, it's like, it was like, it was not normal. Also, I didn't know algebra mm-hmm. <laughs> and most of the problems are algebra based. But if you don't tell a student that they don't know algebra, they don't know that they don't know algebra and they can do things, mm-hmm. which was one of the things that I've learned and that I 
use now on my teaching, right? You know, just don't tell them that they don't know calculus. They'll figure it out. And they do. So <laughs> that so, seems like a, would you say that that's, oh, so we're hearing this story compressed, right? But it seems like a manifestation of what you were saying about your Montessori training. You could do what you want when you want. So that it created the space for this creative mind and thinking. And then you're in this position where, you know, you're waiting for your chips, but you're like, well, I'll just go ahead and try this. Yeah, I think I think I had a very privileged, uh, you know, childhood because people would never like I didn't know I couldn't do things until people would tell me that I couldn't do things. Right. Like mm -hmm. nobody told me that it, like. I knew that it was hard because I looked at it and it was hard, but I also didn't think I cannot try it, right? Like, you know, like, and, and yes, there were not that many women in the model, like in the Mad Olympiads, it was only men and me, like mm -hmm. for the longest time. Like there were a few other women here and there, but like I, I was in the team, uh, it was only me for a while too. Um, or there were very few women. Uh, but even then, like, I don't know, like, my dad's family, they're all like sports people. And like uh, my grandfather is a really famous soccer player, was a really famous soccer player. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, the one thing I knew I couldn't do was play soccer because that's for men. And yes, that's funny. Uh, in Mexico, soccer is for men. Women are not allowed to play soccer. Now they are, but back then they wouldn't. So it was the one thing I couldn't do, but nothing else they could they would say that you couldn't do because you're not a woman, especially my grandfather and my dad were always very like concerned with making sure that I, they were not telling me you can do it, but they would never tell me you couldn't, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And and my mom was a little more concerned about the getting married, having children, and, you know, all that, all, and being fit and like good looking, which you know, that was not my concern at all. Still not my concern at all. But yeah. <laughs> It seems like your mom was quite a character in your childhood. And, you know, did that play a role in your your confidence, your comfortableness with mathematics, just to play with it and exp experiment and explore? I wonder that. I, I Sometimes I go, I think that she might be like a, like a secret genius. <laughs> like she wanted me to be a mathematician, but knew that children rebel against their parents. To push me on the complete opposite direction so that I would be a mathematician. Because, like, when I was on the national trainer trainings, uh, you get a list of like 30 problems and they're super hard, and you have a month to do them before the next meeting. Mm -hmm. And all my other friends could work on them after school every day. And I had to do my wifely duties before I could go work on them. So I had to, like, make sure that I was there cooking dinner and cleaning the house and making laundry and doing all of these things. Until I then, I, as a reward, I was able to do my, my math stuff, right? <laughs> so I think that was like her secret. Like, if I tell her I'm also support her on this, she's going to rebel and just go want to be with boys and things like that. And I had like, no, not even like the slightest interest in any of those things because I was interested in math because she didn't want me to do math. So I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe it was like a secret genius kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> So before we um, move you to the U.S., um, um, can you talk to us some about someone in your youth who helped you along the way? You know, Fred Rogers from the Mr. Rogers neighborhood used to talk about the helpers in your neighborhood. And so I'm always interested to find out um, who helped you along your journey. So, well, definitely that that picture that I've been talking about, uh, Cesar, mm -hmm. 
um, Cesar was really, really good. And um, he he used to call me the stupid girl, which sounds terrible, but it was like a very endearing term. And like, I used to call him grandma because he had long hair. So we had this kind of like really weird relationship, but he would, he would always push me and allow me to be like during the trainings for the, to figure out who was going to represent the state. Everybody had to write in the blackboard in the front. And he bought me a little whiteboard because he knew that I was very shy, like very self-conscious and I didn't want to show other people what I was doing until I knew that it was, you know, like mm-hmm. some kids and I was like the youngest. So then I could do my work in that little board and then mm-hmm. show everybody else. And like, like he allowed me to do like little things like that, that made it. Um, and after I did that, he has, he started doing my Olympias with uh, elementary school kids and middle school kids. Cause uh, like I told him, you just, you don't know what you don't know until mm-hmm. you, they tell you. Right. So if they don't tell you, then you can do things because you don't know that you're not supposed to be able to. So mm-hmm. that has been his motto. And, and yeah, a bunch of the good results that the US, that, that Mexico has had in the Mile Olympics was because he grew the talent after yeah, that experience. It was really cool. So oh, that's very cool. Yeah. So how did you end up coming to the U.S.? So I did, I finished high school and then because of the model Olympians, they give you like uh, immediate acceptance to the uh, Center for Research in, Research in Math that is in Guanajuato, which is a city that is about four hours away drive from where I'm from. Um, and I just went there because I was just thinking the other day about how like accidental my life has been. Like I haven't really made decisions sitting down and making decisions. It was like, yeah, I get here for free. I want to be a doctor, doctor, but... Eh, this is fine too. Like, you know, <laughs> so let me just go there. And I went there and I've learned a lot of things in that school mm-hmm. about math, but I learned a lot of things about myself as well. Mm-hmm. Like one thing is because the, you start with like 40 students start each year. And by the end, only like five, seven graduate. Mm-hmm. So it's like very, very, you only take math classes. And on like your first year, you're doing calculus with feedback. So like it's tough it's a tough school and you're doing proof based everything and you're only with your math people and uh yeah i uh, semester thir- third i was doing uh speed up in manifolds so mm-hmm. it, it was like tough wow. uh-huh. but because we came in from the olympiac like the few of us that did we just thought we were so like it wasn't that we would they thought we were better it thought we just were in class and they were doing the things that we had already done like we already knew how to prove things so then i just went and played ping pong a lot <laughs> don't take school seriously like at all see i started failing classes and thinking maybe i need to get more serious about this and i never thought i'm not gonna graduate but i never even thought i'm going to graduate like you know it wasn't like i was just going with the flow mm-hmm. playing ping pong with my friends um started working with the nurse that was like also really important like it it turned out to be really important later but i started working with the nurse in the in the school and I learned how to stitch people up and how to vaccinate people. And that was super, like, that was super cool to me. And the math was, like, cool, but, like, not, I don't know, not that attractive. And then in the third semester, in the after the third year that summer, there was an opportunity to come to the U.S. for an REU. Mm-hmm. An REU. Um, and this was in the University of Texas at Dallas. And... I didn't think I should apply, but my then boyfriend was like, let's apply together, let's go together. And I was like, fine, let's go do this thing. So I, we applied and I got in, he didn't get in. And we came, I came here to the US and I just, I was 
place in a neuroscience lab. Mm -hmm. And I was doing like math modeling of like neuron networks. Mm -hmm. I thought I could be a doctor doctor, but a doctor like with a math degree. You know, like I could mm -hmm. learn about the, the body and like medicine stuff, but with a math degree. So, and back then, back there, it was all like, it's pure math or it's stupid. Right in New Mexico, like if it's not pure math, it's like you are you are selling out. You be proud. There were not a lot of people doing modeling. Um, mm -hmm. Even the classes that I took, uh, the that were the most the more applied classes, they were very theoretical. Um, even like my um, uh, game theory class was all about fixed point theory and stuff. Like it was very theoretical, mm -hmm. but it was cool. So and also like personal situations, I was just like I'm just gonna stay here. So I stayed. In the U.S., like some of the Mexicans that just come and then stay. Um, so uh, that was a little bit rough. My experience at UT Dallas was very rough. And I think the reason I stayed and I finished was because I'm stubborn and I didn't want to admit that I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. But my first class ever, like I came and then um, I had to wait a semester while I was doing all the the... Uh, paperwork and things uh, and I was working a bunch of jobs because I did I also did not know that you have to pay for school here like nobody told me that like in Mexico it was free so I thought it was free here too and then all of a sudden they tell me seven thousand dollars I'm like how am I gonna get seven thousand dollars so I was working really hard last semester to um, get money um, and then my first class I was late because I didn't take the SAT on time and uh I had already talked to a professor in the school mm -hmm. and they were placing me in the highest math that they had the master level because I had already gone through all the math here. Mm -hmm. um, and the lady would not let me register. She was like, unless I have your SATs, I don't know what math you did in Mexico. The math that we do here is serious, not the one that you do there. I'm like, fine, okay, whatever. So I was like a week late to classes and I come into class and I come to this humanities class. Mm -hmm. And there's this is giant auditorium. So it's really weird for me because I've never been in a place where there's that many students. I sit at the very back because I feel I'm late and I don't know anybody and I didn't know anybody. And they're talking about the Exodus from the Bible. I don't know if it's because it was Texas or whatever, but that's the humanities class. And somebody uh, is saying how uh, they noticed that the Egyptians were overworking the Jewish people so that they wouldn't reproduce. And then somebody else turns around and says, we should do that to the Mexicans. And then somebody else turns around and says, yeah, no, but those women, you look at them and they get pregnant. And then somebody else in the class says, how many can you feed in a car? And they're all laughing. And it's the first time in my life that I realized that being Mexican was a bad thing. Wow. Like, because, I mean, I grew up in Mexico, everybody's Mexican. We do not make fun of being Mexican as a bad thing because yeah. we're all Mexican, right? Yeah. So, and I'm in the back and I'm thinking, what did I do? Yeah, like, seriously. I should just go home. Like, what am I doing? Like, they don't even have classes that I, they don't have math classes that I can take here. Like, mm -hmm. I'm taking all these other classes that I don't even know if I'm interested in. And this is what they're, so by the time the class ends, I wanted to leave to the back door, but it's all crowded. And I just wanted to get out of there. So I went on the front and the teacher saw me and looked at me and said, oh, I'm really sorry. If I knew you were here, I would have stopped the conversation. Which I was like, so if I'm not here, the conversation is okay. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. So that was one of like the hardest things. But then I went home and I was like, were you, are you ready to admit that you made a mistake and go back? No. <laughs> no. I'm just going to stay. Stick it up. Um, and suck it up. And then I met, um, in my physics class that semester, I met 
uh, Ashley Johnson, who is now a professor in Alabama, fantastic, uh, like wonderful mathematician. Uh, she made me go to a conference. Uh, Jackie Jensen uh, mm -hmm. was in uh, Sam Houston and was putting that conference that she put for undergrad uh, undergrad students. Mm -hmm. And she made me go and she's like, I'm going to take you. I was like, okay. So she started making me go to these things and I started like seeing, because back then I was like, I already made a mistake, so I'm not going to be a mathematician. Like, I didn't know what, just wanted to finish because I didn't want to admit that I made a mistake. But like the math classes were not that challenging. Like nothing was like, I wasn't enjoying things that much. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Then I started working on the Math Assistant Center. And that was really cool because I had never solved an integral up until then. Because in my calculus classes, you show that integrals exist. And then you're done. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have find the integrals. You show that the integration by parts works. But you do not integrate by parts. <laughs> so, so then I started working there and all the students came and asked me questions about how to solve integrals. And I was like, okay. So I learned all of those things. And that was like really cool because it was a skill that, that this computational skill I did not have. And that was really cool to, to, to learn. Mm -hmm. And in one of those conferences, um, in the Texas section meeting of the MAA, mm -hmm. um, we, they had a, a calculus bowl that my advisor, who I didn't know was going to be my advisor, was putting together and because we were we got the team from the math assistant center we got second place because we were really good at doing calculus very fast <laughs> <laughs> and when he was giving us the the prize he asked me what i wanted to do for grad well before that he started asking me about where i was from i said i was from mexico he was from bulgaria and we started talking soccer so he talked about the soccer players. I talked about soccer players that i've seen when mexico played bulgaria we were talking about soccer and then he's like so what are you gonna do for grad school and I'm like, that's cool. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was in a really bad um, personal relationship. Uh, and um, mm -hmm. I had a very abusive boyfriend back then. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was only going to do whatever he told me that I could do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was also, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, so he's like, you should come get your PhD uh, at UT Arlington. And I was like, I don't know. Like, he might get a job somewhere. He's like, come get a PhD at UT Arlington. This is either late March or early April because it's a text section meeting. So of my senior year, I'm about to graduate. Uh -huh. And he's like, come visit us. And I'm like, I don't know, but Ashley heard. So then Ashley one day told me, hey, you want to go get ice cream? And I was like, yeah, ice cream. Yes. <laughs> Anything food related, I'm, I'm, I'm game, right? So she got me in my car and tricked me and took me to UT Arlington. <laughs> then he didn't get me ice cream. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> And then she introduced me to uh, to my like to the, the advice. My advisor introduced me to the chair back then and to everybody. And then they were like, you know, you could come here and we would pay you to come as an assistant. Like you mean? And I was back then. I was starting to look for jobs in Mexico, uh -huh. and I could not find a job in Mexico with my degree that would pay more than the assistantship. Uh -huh. It's really sad, <laughs> but I was like, because it was like thirteen thousand dollars a year the assistantship. It wasn't that much, but it was like a lot of money to me. Like, you know what? I'm, I I I should do this. I I, I think I'm gonna do this. So the guy I was with was not that happy about it, but yeah. So uh, I did. I started my PhD in 2008 with him, and I, it was just yeah, that was pretty great. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that that's yeah, meeting because of the training that I had from Simad from the from Guanajuato mm -hmm. from the undergrad. Um, my advisor told me, take the prelims before you start. And I was like, just for fun. They won't come. And I took the analysis and the linear algebra prelims and I passed them. 
before I started. So he was like, let's start doing research. So I started doing research in September of, of the semester I started, which was really nice. And it was the first time I did research. So but it was like super cool. Um, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Like you, it, it was a lot of privilege, right? Like having all that information already in my head. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alicia, we often like to ask our interviewees to describe a time when they faced a challenge and how they managed to find their way out of it. And you sort of described that already in the classroom where you were in the back and you, for the first time in your life, you were feeling really unloved. It sounds like, Uh, do you have a, would you like to say more about the specifics of how you're, how you found your way forward there or maybe in grad school? Um, so I think one big one was when I didn't make the Mexican team for the Olympia. Mm. I think that was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was even harder because I didn't want to admit that it meant something for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And admitting that it meant something and that I hadn't made it, like I had more training than anybody mm-hmm. there and I didn't make it. So um, like I started going to, when I, when I, so that happens like the summer before I go to college. And in college, I started not paying attention to classes and not going. I think it was kind of a reaction also to like, I don't like math anymore. I don't care about math anymore. Like, mm-hmm. like um, But I, I did love math, right? Like I've always loved math. And like uh, finding back my way to liking math and admitting that I like math and admitting that I wanted to make it to an effort because that was also the part of it, right? Like admitting that I could, that I can make an effort and that it doesn't have to pan out to success. Like the effort doesn't mean success. Ooh, that's hard, right? Like, <laughs> so uh, what helped me was another, a grad student back then who, um, I had a calculus street teacher who didn't like me very much and who was a little bit rude to me. And, and I was like, well, I don't care. I'm just gonna go play, uh, t- uh, you know, ping pong or whatever. And one of the grad students who was a TA there said, no, you're smart. Let's let's work together. So he had me, he gave me the book, the Spielberg in Manifold. And he was like, read as much as you can and then present to me the material, which was really different pedagogy, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and then when he would ask me to present, I would present and I would make mistakes and he wouldn't tell me. And then he would wait to see if I realized that I made mistakes. Which <laughs> <laughs> was very mean. But that discovering map, because I think it's very different when it's given to you mm-hmm. and when you get to discover it, like made me fall in love with it again. And it, the same thing happened when I was in grad school, when I started doing research with my advisor. And he said, he sat me on a couple of meetings with his collaborators. And once I decided that I liked the one that he was working with, the biomedical engineer on like medical implants, um, he started talking to, it was him, his advisor that now worked with him. Uh, who was a Mexican guy, Benito Chen, which is really funny. Um, and then uh, the biomedical engineer in a meeting, they just talking to each other, tell, uh, talking about how the model, what the model is going to do, uh, how they're going to, um, how they're going to present it and everything. And then when he looks at me and says, "So you got it, right?" <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And the way that they were describing the model, it was like there's going to be a flat surface, and there's going to be some bacteria in the flat surface, and there's going to be uh, white blood cells that are going to come and eat the bacteria. That's pretty much what they said, right? 
and they and then he they they were talking and they said, oh, we can do it in MATLAB. So that's the only thing that I heard. So when he said you got it, I was like, okay, I have a week because that's what you do. You have a week for like for classes, right? Like they give you an assignment, you have a week. So I was like, this is my assignment. I need to create a program that does this in a week. So they were asking you to create a model to, to this thing that they were he just hypothetically talking about? Got it, right? That's what he said. You got it. And I didn't want to ask questions. But I didn't want to look stupid. So <laughs> he just made like, he was, I feel like he was, he was the guy that paid me $13,000 a year. Like I needed to make that guy happy. So I went to my, I never opened MATLAB. I didn't know like, what it was. So I went to my office and thank God for Google. I was like, what is MATLAB? And then it took to, taught me what MATLAB was. It turns out it was already on my computer because it was a drive computer, yeah. And then I opened it and I was like, how do I in MATLAB? And I spent a week without sleep, not doing anything, thinking this is what everybody's able to do and I'm not, like, I'm really dumb. Like, why am I doing this? Like, I cannot do this. Like, this is terrible. Didn't talk to my parents in a week, which had never happened before. Uh, didn't, didn't talk to anybody. It was just like struggling with this thing and like thinking uh, I'm inadequate. This mm-hmm. is, I'm done, I cannot do this. And at the end, I had a three by three grid with all blue colors, all the green colors, that was the bacteria. And then at some point, the colors would turn red, adjacent colors, and that meant that the bacteria had been eaten. So it would make different paths. That was after a week, right? <laughs> and I thought, this is the stupidest thing. Like, he's going to slap me. Like, he's going to be like, oh. Why did I bring this girl here? Like she's clearly, she cannot do anything. And so I came and I showed him the program. He's like, oh, that's really great. I didn't expect you to get this far. And I'm like, that's not what you asked. You asked for this. And he said, yes, for your dissertation. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I have four to five years for that. No one think. How, how interesting. And that was a fantastic learning moment of, you know, you can ask questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell me about uh, grad school and building a community that you felt comfortable in, or was did a community already exist? Where did you find your sense of belonging in graduate school? Uh, so it helped that there were a few of us that spoke Spanish. Mm-hmm. So first it was me and Juan Antonio who was from Mexico and went back to Mexico after he was done. There was a Colombian guy, Humberto, and there were two professors, uh, Dr. Minerva Cordero and James Alvarez, mm-hmm. who speak a little bit of Spanish. Um, so it helped that they were around um, and that we would, we started doing Ivan, who is a Puerto Rican. Uh, when he came, was my second year. Uh, he, he really liked dancing and I really liked dancing. So we started dancing around the, the department, just we would put music and we would dance. And then everybody was like, oh, you should teach us. So we started doing like little lessons and then we would go out and dancing out uh, outings, mm-hmm. which was really hard for me because you had to stay up late. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it was really cool. And, and uh, Minerva and James used to come dance with us, which was super fun to see, you know, your professors dancing mm-hmm. with you. And by the way, they are like pros. We were like learning, but they're pros. Um, but we would go and dance, uh, go to the clubs and dance, and that was like really cool. And with that, we started doing other things. Like there was another student who wanted to start a um, a running club. Mm-hmm. So we started going running. So we had a we made jackets that said um, Siam. I have it over here. It says Siam dancing dancing team. <laughs> and we used to run our races with our jackets that said Siam. 
dancing team because we had a Siam uh, uh, graduate student um, chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I had lots of uh, I had some female friends as well. Like we had like all these friends that we would just hang out and do things together, uh, like dancing and stuff like that, um, and like running. Then we started going running like every Saturday on the park. Um, yeah, it, grad school was fun. Like I. I mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I fear to say that because I feel like that that's not the universal experience. Like, I'm not going to say it wasn't hard. The research part was hard. Um, there were a lot of little things in research that, like, I would be doing something and then realize it's a stupid way of doing things. You got to start over. And that's really frustrating. But classes were not that hard. Mm-hmm. So then I was able to do these other things. And that helped, like, have, like, balance in my life mm-hmm. um, of all the things um, so it's true that grad school isn't universally fun, but I think that you have uh, described what made it fun for you. It's this community and you had a great community there. It sounds like including, yeah, yeah. including faculty, which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. My advisor and some of his close uh, faculty friends, we would go and watch soccer games together. Uh, yeah. Like my advisor was really, he's a very, He's very funny and very amic, but he's very rough. Like, I don't know. It's really hard to make him happy, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. like everything that you do, he's like, oh, okay. So I always thought that he had content for me. And then he invited me to his house one day. And this kid had, uh, came with a, a mad exam. Daddy, I got 98. And he was like, so what mistake did you make? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Your poor kid is very proud of himself. But then that was the moment that I was like, oh, yeah, he likes me. Like, he treats me like his kids. So we're good. <laughs> like, he's just, that's just his personality. So, so it helped that I had a super cool advisor that I got along super well with. Mm-hmm. That after that first meeting, I could tell anything to. Uh, when I had, like, after the first year, I broke up with that really bad relationship I had. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, quite devastating. Like, I, I, I thought, it was one of those times where I thought, maybe I'm not going to make it, like, in life. Like, mm-hmm. it was really bad. Uh, and I was able to come, well, it was really hard, but I came to his office and I told him that I had broken up and I was like about to just start bowling. And he said, take the time that you need. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing that he said. Right. So mm-hmm. it had to take like a month, like, oh, I, I just couldn't function. Yeah. Like I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't even feed myself. Like when you get in that, like that really bad. So it was nice to have a very understanding advisor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something else that he did that I think was amazing was that when I presented my dissertation, um, my parents wanted to come from Mexico. Uh, and they tell me like, oh, we want to come and, I, and I, we want to be there for your for your defense. And I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, but then my mom was like, but we're not going to understand anything. And I thought, I want them to understand things. I want them to understand what I'm doing. I especially <laughs> want my mom to understand what I'm doing because this is what's keeping her from having grandkids. <laughs> so... I, Something really cool needs to be happening here so that she's like, okay, uh-huh. I'm okay with you not having kids, right? <laughs> so I don't know how great the dissertation had to be. But um, uh, he allowed me to present the heavy math stuff to him and my and the other people in the committee beforehand. Mm-hmm. And on the presentation, there was a little bit of math, but it was mainly biology. It was mainly explaining the problem and mainly explaining the um about the um, pacemakers and things like that and infections that everybody could understand. Mm-hmm. And when my parents said they were coming, I thought they were like my dad and my mom was coming. But no, it was my dad, my uncle, 
my mom, her sister, uh, my dad's closest friend. It was like a huge amount of people. And then I used to tutor kids, um, really, really, really smart kids. We had a group of kids that I was tutoring. Uh, one of them is Luke, uh, who just won the third gold medal for the IMO. So I'm super proud of him. I used wow. to tutor him when he was a tiny little kid, like eight years old. Uh-huh. I think the time when he was six. By the way, at some point I gave him my algebra homework from grad school and he did it. <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Cordero, but that was not my homework. It was Luke doing my homework. <laughs> because he could and I didn't want to. <laughs> so uh, he, they came with their parents. So it was like a room, like a big auditorium was full of people. So it was really cool that he allowed me to have that. And my mom wanted to have food because, you know, it's Mexico. In Mexico, you have food whenever you have. So there were tamales and there were soap. There was like all sorts of food in the back. And they were, everybody was eating. It was like a party. She wanted to get a mariachi and I was able to stop her from that because I did not want that a mariachi band to start playing when they said, she has passed. And then the mariachi band comes like, that was a little too much. And I thought that would make like some people a little bit like, this is why we don't have Mexican students anymore. <laughs> They're way too loud. <laughs> but but it was cool that they that he allowed that to happen. They so like, Alicia, how did you get from UT Austin to your faculty position? Tell us about that. So it was a UT Arlington. That's I mean, what I, I meant to say, yeah, so. yeah, it's UTA. Um, so when I was in my last year, my advisor said like you could from the fourth year. He was like you graduate at the end of this year. You wanna uh, graduate, and I was like. Sure. And he's like, let's apply and see what you get. And then if not, we'll figure something out. Like you can say another year because it's supposed to be a five-year program because it was bachelor PhD. So I, uh, when I was going to apply, he told me, what are you looking for? And I was like, I have nothing. He said, well, then apply to anything that looks good. So I went on math, sign net on the math jobs. And everything was good. So I applied <laughs> to 350 jobs. <laughs> And you know what they tell you not to do? Just not don't send a generic letter. I sent a generic letter to 320 of those. Like I did drafted a nice letter for a few that I was like really interested in. Mm-hmm. But um, the on during JMM that was in Boston um, mm-hmm. in 2012, uh, I got a bunch of I don't remember how many interviews, but I got a bunch of interviews, like nine or eleven interviews. And I don't think any of those were for the people that I did a, a very nice letter. They were for the generic people, but anyways. Uh-huh. So uh, out of those, four people asked me for an in-person interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did uh, a few, like I did three before and then Youngstown. And my advisor kept making fun of me because every time I would come from one, I would be like, this is it. This is the place. It's amazing. I want to. And then I will go to the other one and be like, no, 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 never mind that other place. This is the place. It's amazing. I'm going to say yes because. They would like, by the time that I was, my plane was landing, they were calling me with an offer. And I was like, okay, let me just go to the other ones. I was like, just like freaking out. And every time I would, so I think I, I didn't know the why is because it was the last one, but maybe, <laughs> maybe because it was the last one and it just looked, there was something about YSU. Like when I came to the interview, they, like other places look, I don't even know how to say it very like politically correct, but in places in, in, in the US, they look very clean. Like very like there's a lot of order all the houses look the same like mm-hmm. things look very structured and young is like mexico like there's dirt everywhere trash like there's all this stuff everything is like they have the steel meal dust on top of everything still <laughs> and i don't know i it, it sounded to me it looked to me as a place that there's things to be done 
mm-hmm. then you can make a contribution because there's so much to do. And I don't mean to offend anybody from Youngstown. It's, I think it's a wonderful community and it's a community of people that are super resilient because they have gone through some stuff. But like, it's also a place where there's a lot to be done. And I like this a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I love it here. That's great. Uh, let me tell the listeners that uh, Della and I have written or edited a book, a collection of articles about belonging and community in mathematics called Count Me In. And in there is a chapter on the uh, AWM student chapter at Youngstown State written by uh, a number of young women who went to Youngstown State. And they speak very highly of working with you. But um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the community at Youngstown State and what you've done to help develop it. I know that a number or several of you in the department have worked hard on developing this community. Um, So the community and talk to us about student research there. So I pay them to say nice things about me. (laughs) But I think it was the first year when uh, Angie told me that they were students interested in going to Nebraska, uh, the conference, the mm-hmm. Nebraska Conference for Women in Math, and uh, that we had four seats, but we had three students that wanted to go. That uh, if I wanted to go with them, that they would pay for me to go with them. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I went with them. Uh, and I remember meeting Ashley Orr, uh, mm-hmm. a particular student, who mm-hmm. came to the to my office and said, like, okay, I'm going to this conference, but everybody's presenting, and I need to present. And I'm like, child, you're a freshman, and it's October. Like, <laughs> What are you going to present? And she's like, so I do not, I haven't taken a lot of math classes, but I've taken econo- economic classes before. So I'm already working with a model and I'm going to present. So I just wanted to uh, ask you if you think that this post, and she was already had a poster and it's October. And I'm thinking, you started a month ago. How do you have a poster? Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> she's fantastic. We're still friends. We actually just went walking a couple of days ago. But anyway, we went to Nebraska and it was really cool to see that. But I was still like, I came back and I was like, we had three guys? Really? We couldn't even feel the fourth? Like, uh, so I was, they make you, they, you have to teach calculus classes because those are four uh, credit hours. So it adds up to not having to teach four classes a semester. So uh, I was teaching a lot of Cal 1 and Cal 2 classes. And whenever I had a student, a female student that was interested, that seemed to enjoy it, that 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 was enjoying the class, I would be like, hey, so what's your major? I mean, with all of them, but mainly those. And they would always tell me engineering or biology or something. And I was like, so why not math? They were like, because I don't want to teach. That was always the answer is, I don't want to teach. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that. Um, But there's all these other things you can do with math. So I would like have them come to my office later and we would talk about all the other things that you can do or on why adding a math degree would be good to their current degree or things like that, mm-hmm. what classes they could take, what other things they could learn. And then they would be like, oh, okay. So then later I would see like they they kept trying to like ask me more questions about it. So then if they would, I would come back with the change of major form already <laughs> filled up and put them in front of them and be like, so we're doing this, right? And I don't know, it's because it's the Midwest and people are really polite, but they always did sign them and they became math majors. And um, I think it was Monica Busser who was one of the people, like she, she the, the uh, AWM chapter started with Julie Sides, who was a grad student back then. And now it's part of the math department. Uh, she has a position there. 
but uh, Monica, when Monica got it, she was like, we need to build community, we need to do things. So she started that uh, Bigs and Littles program mm-hmm. where they, we had the, the mentors, the uh, junior and seniors mentors, uh, freshmen and sophomore. Um, mm-hmm. They started also a, they would get together and meet um, bags, plastic bags, mm-hmm. into blankets for homeless people mm-hmm. while they watch movies. And, <laughs> and I thought like, when they, they started this, I thought they were going to do be like math movies, but they did a couple of math movies and then they moved to Mulan. <laughs> and then at some point they decided they needed pancakes. So they started making pancakes and movies and the kneading of the things. So they have all these activities that now they do regularly. And yeah, they, they're really cool. It's a really cool group. And then they start recruiting each other, right? So now that I haven't been teaching calculus, it's a little bit harder to uh, be more involved in the recruitment process of uh, female students. Mm-hmm. But my colleagues uh, tend to always send me like, I have this woman in class and she's majoring in something, but I think she should be a math major. You talk to her. So then they come to my office and we talk about, should be a math major. So, yeah. And you work on getting um, young undergraduates involved in research. Yes, I think it's also part of the, the story, right? Like I, I was able to be in the Olympics when I was like way too young to be in the Olympics mm-hmm. because nobody told me that I couldn't. So I think if you don't tell them that they cannot do research, they can do research and they do really cool research and they, they surprise you with all the things that they think about as long as you don't tell them that they can't, that they're not supposed to be able to. So, and to me, it's really cool because there's something about doing research where you have ownership of what you're doing. Like when you're in class and there's a problem, you do a problem and we all, all mathematicians were addicted to that feeling of I solved that problem and it felt really good. So they all get that. But also everybody else in the room got it. And when you're doing research, you you thought about this precise way of doing this that nobody mm-hmm. told you about and nobody had thought about it before, right? There's mm-hmm. some sort of like empowerment there. And I do think that there's a lot, like I saw it in myself, a lot of a lot of it was confidence, right? Like I always didn't have, didn't trust that I could do things, mm-hmm. especially if I if, when I found out that they were hard, right? So when after they've been doing research and I tell them this is really hard and people have not done this, there's something about of them that just like, oh, then I can do these things, you know, like, look, like I did something hard. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, yeah. How do you come up with all these problems? Oh, many, they come up with them. And oh. then I'm in a lot of trouble because I have to figure out what to do. But yeah. um, they, um, for example, I had, I run a mock REU, like not a mock, like an REU with students there. Mm-hmm. that apply for RU but then didn't get it but they should have gotten them mm-hmm. like Alanis and Julie and Marie um, so they uh, Marie said I'm really interested in data science and I was like I know the words <laughs> <laughs> pretty much it um, and then she was like uh, and then I went to uh, Michael Doris Pickman uh, camp when mm-hmm. they were doing data science so I knew a little bit after that but that was like my the level of my knowledge back then and she she was like, I think I heard something about clustering algorithms. And I was like, yeah, I heard something about that too. <laughs> so I told them, why, why don't you guys like just look at some, pick two and compare and contrast and let's find some data sets to do, to do so, right? It's not a problem problem that I thought, very well thought that I know was gonna happen. Like, let's just learn together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, especially because it's an, it's an experience that it's not a senior capstone, 
if they completely fail and nothing comes out of it, they still learn about, uh, you know, there's still some learning happening and there's no bad consequences of not doing it. So like, mm-hmm. why not? Why not get out of time 30? And they did really good in that project. Can you tell us just a little bit about your research? Um, I'm thinking about students who listen to the podcast and you've managed to combine mathematics and biology and, you know, weave your way into medicine. So could you just talk a little bit about that in lay people's terms? Yeah. So the my dissertation was on um, infection control on medical implants. So think about long-term implants like a pacemaker or something that if you take away, you die. So pretty bad thing. So uh, normally when you insert an implant in somebody, no matter how much you clean it, some stuff is going to, some bacteria is going to come inside. Um, you want the right am- amount of immune response because if you have too much immune response, uh, they're going to try to eject the implant. And again, bad thing. If you have too little immune response, then the bacteria can grow nice and freely and form into something called a biofilm, which is just like a nice little living community of things that uh, it's really, really hard to, when you have a biofilm, it's really hard to get it rid of it, even with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. That's why people that have ear infections, they have recurrent ear infections because you have a biofilm inside your ear canal, which I do, so it's disgusting. I'm sorry, I'm going to give you nightmares. Um, But uh, the idea in my dissertation was to figure out what is the right protein coating to put on the implant so that you uh, came up with with the right immune response. And we did this using... Cellular automata model, which is exactly what I described, like a little Pac-Man thing, <laughs> imitates what's happening in the in reality, and you can experiment with it and show all sorts of different scenarios. Um, and then for the math part, um, these are these are discrete models. So a question that back then I was super interested in was, when are those discrete? You can use also PDEs to model this, um, and you can use discrete models. So what we did was we use a technique that uh, Linda Allen from Texas State used uh, to upscale this discrete model into a PDE. And one question that I was really interested in is, when can you do that? What are the conditions either on the discrete model or the PDE make this happen, um, that those models are equivalent? Because we show that the models were equivalent. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, then I ended up doing a, another project, uh, thanks to AWM, because they had these, um, women in biology workshops where they place you with people and you start doing research. And there I did my sleep and thermal regulation project, which is like super cool because you try to model what is the effect of temperature in the quality and quantity of your sleep. And I met the most amazing people, like the friends that I made there are like, yeah, my best friends ever. Uh, so that was like a really, really cool uh, experience. And lately I, in order to do research, like most of the research I do is with students or when somebody comes in with a problem. So students tend to come in with problems. So they, they, they come in and they say, you know, I've been wondering about this and this. So I had a student that a long time ago that came in, he had been working under the uh, mayor, uh, the Yongsan mayor uh, on a, we have a lot of buildings that are empty mm-hmm. and those cause a lot of trouble. Because you know rats come in, people come in and like uh, steal pipes. Uh, some have the gas still connected, and then they blow up in the middle of the night, and you know, mm. that's not ideal. <laughs> if you're the neighbor. So um, 
one of the things that this uh, non-for-profit is doing is uh, with very little budget going around and figuring out which house to demolish, which which can get fixed up and sold and things like that. But they were pretty much doing it random. And so my student came and said, there must be a better way of doing this. Mm-hmm. So we model this as an epidemic, like because kind of if everybody left, if all my neighbors left, I would probably leave. So I'm not want to live in a, in a, you know, in a house where all the other houses are abandoned. So it kind of spreads like an epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we, we were able to model the situation from where the steel mills were open and the, the boom of like, everybody had money to nobody has money now and everybody's mm-hmm. abandoned, all the houses are abandoned. And then we tried different techniques of uh, grading the houses in different ways, uh, it, in, in, with inputs from the neighborhood, with inputs from different things, the economy and whatever, to figure out which ones to demolish. And it was really cool because he got to present it to the mayor. So that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Can you think back to uh, the experiences you've had so far? And was there a particular time where you really felt like you belonged in a community or a time where you really felt that you didn't belong in a community? And tell us about that. Yeah, so, ooh, okay, so not belonging, there was that entire period between late 2015 and 2017, you know what was happening, that was really hard to feel like I belong. Like, in my classes, I would regularly um, get students that would wearing Build the Wall uh, t-shirts mm-hmm. or... I got asked several times of my students if my PhD was real or I got it in Mexico. Wow. Um, I had students tell me that they wouldn't, um, they didn't have anything to learn from a Mexican uh, or they wanted to know if I was legally here. Um, well, how that, did you respond? And, how did you handle that? So, so there's two things. Like it would happen in the classroom in, at YSU and then it would happen in the streets, right? Like, like I was at Walmart one time talking to my mom on the phone in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And this lady like slammed her buggy at me and said, we speak English here, go back to where you came from. So those situations are a little bit hard, like not harder, like easier to ignore because I don't have to see this lady again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Irritating. I feel bad. I go home and sometimes I cry, but it's mm-hmm. fine. With my students, I have to remind myself where I am and who I am. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. power over them. Mm-hmm. And I need to understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, that I think a lot about is my mom is from the coast of Mexico, like from really close to Puerto Vallarta, which is a place where a lot of spring breakers go mm-hmm. uh, spring break. Uh, when we were growing up, we were exposed to a lot of people from other countries. But if we hadn't been, I could have easily thought that all Americans were spring breakers. Mm-hmm. because that's the only thing that I've ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. And I could imagine my mom thinking, do not go to the U.S. to, to, to study. You are going to be showing your books to everybody. <laughs> Sorry, you can't say books in the front in the book. But like, like, that's what we saw. Like, that's what we saw on, 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 on Puerto Vallarta, right? And everybody was really messed up on drugs and, and alcohol. And I could have thought every American is like that. Mm-hmm. For my students, I see it that way, right? Like, they don't see a lot of Mexicans. I might be the first one, and many have told me I'm the first one they've ever met in person. Mm-hmm. And if all they see is what some people in the media portray, they could easily think we're all criminals and rapists. Mm-hmm. 
they will have no way of not of knowing that that's not true. Mm-hmm. So if I respond defensively, and I, which again, I, I want to say this very carefully because I do not think that is it is in any way the responsibility of any person of color to fix racism or fix how white people think. Like exactly, right. if, if if somebody else has had the situation and they decided to slap the kid, I'm with them and I'm applauding and good job mm-hmm. you slapped the kid. Mm-hmm. But to me, I always have this idea that if you piss me off enough, I'm just gonna go back home. We're done. I can do that. And that uh-huh. comes with a lot of privilege, right? So I choose to use that privilege by taking a step back, breathing, remembering that they might think that every every Mexican is criminal and rapist, and trying to figure out how to make connections, right? So I remember one time that one of the students that was not in my class um, came with his uh, cap, red cap, and the build the wall and sat in my class before my class started and stared at me in the front, just staring at me, didn't say anything. So I took a deep breath and I said, hey, are are you in this class? I haven't seen you before. And he didn't say anything. And I was like, okay, just letting you know, this is a calculus class. So I'm done. I'm really proud of you for being brave and just sitting here in a calculus class that you don't have to be at. Do you like math? And then he was like a little bit taken aback. And then we started talking. And then I I asked him where he was from and he's from... uh, very north place of here um, in Youngstown, which is very rural place. Um, and then I started talking about my my uncles who are farmers in Mexico. And his his father is a farmer, and they, he was talking about how they grow uh, corn and something else. I don't remember. And then I was telling how my my uncles they grow tobacco, and we used to go on the farm. And like when my uh, uncles were growing mangoes, sometimes it was much more expensive to hire people. Uh, put the mangoes in a box and sell them than to let them rot. And then we started talking about that, right? And I chose that story because I know that they are hurt. I know that these people are hurting in a way and they want to blame. And they have been pointed out to blame it on us. Mm -hmm. So let's connect that way. I know what that hurt is. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I can know it from my uncles, right? But I know what that hurt is. So let's talk about it. And then he just left and, and he told me, maybe one day I'll come and I'll take your calculus class. That was the last thing he said and then he left. Mm. So this is one success story. It hasn't been like that. I have a couple of other ones that have been successful. Some other ones have not been that successful, but when I can, I try to be compassionate to them and I try to think, remember that you could think that all Americans are screen breakers. <laughs> and it's not true, right? Like I, I did have a very, even though I was exposed to a lot of Americans, I had a very different uh, definition or like perspective of what an American was mm-hmm. until I came here. Like you really get to know people are good and people are different than what you expected them to be. Your compassion and your strength has literally brought tears to my eyes. I'm I'm just so impressed with with your ability to um, handle those. I, I would not be able to handle that situation in the same way. And I'm so impressed with you. But I do have to say, like, I mean, for you, you cannot just say, I'm just going to go somewhere else. You know, like, it it, it 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 does come from a very privileged place of, like, you. I seriously think sometimes, yeah, this, this gets worse. I go and retire in Mexico with the money I make here. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be good enough and I can be <laughs> there with my family and mm-hmm. I'll never have to see snow again, which is very sad for me, but apparently very happy for other people. Uh, 
And like, I, you know, I could have an okay life back there, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not the situation that many people are in. So because I have that privilege, I feel that it's also my responsibility. Are you ready for our quick fire questions, Della? Are you, Alicia? Yes. Doing it. I see her. She's got her muscles flexed. <laughs> the first one is a fill in the blank, and then the other ones are just regular questions. Okay, you ready? Okay. I'm the first go. one is mathematics is joyful. <laughs> of course. What else were you expecting? I love her. Her little competitive uh, attitude is coming out a little bit. She's ready for these questions. <laughs> what is the last book you read that you could not put down? Oh, I'm reading one right now. Does that count? Yeah. Yeah. It's called The Other Black Girl. And uh, like it's really, really good. I also have dyslexia, so cannot put it down. It's a little bit of a stretch because I can only get like three or four pages a day. But <laughs> What's a, where's a place that you really enjoy? Oh, there's two. So one is the park. We have a metro park here that you can run an entire half marathon inside without going to the same place. It's gigantic. And I love the park and love spending time with it. But my uh, all-time favorite place to be is the Hospicio Cabañas in Guadalajara, which is this uh, old... Um, ooh, Hospicio is like where, you, where the kids that don't have parents live. Yeah, uh, orphans. orphans. Yes, it's an orphanage. It used to be an orphanage, mm -hmm. and now it's like a, a um, this fantastic muralist, Orozco painted murals inside it, and it's ridiculously amazing. And it's like a really cool, cool place inside a very warm city. So I, through high school, every time I go to Mexico, I try to spend at least a little bit of time on this piece of Cabanas. It's the best place in the world. Yeah. <laughs> What's on your desk that would surprise us? I don't know if that would surprise me. Oh, it's a, it's a little football, a miniature so football, a football helmet. helmet that my partner, I'm really clumsy, like just <laughs> very, very clumsy. And I'm always like bumping myself. I have bruises everywhere because I'm always bumping myself. And doing, so he bought me a helmet. <laughs> Last question. What sound reminds you of home? Waves the, the, of the beach, which... Mm -hmm. It's funny because I grew up in a city that is very far away from the from the beach, but my mom is from the coast, so mm -hmm. it reminds me of my mom's side of family and spending a lot of time in the beach and the waves. Yeah. Mm, wonderful. And the mosquitoes <laughs> that are not wonderful, <laughs> but those remind me of home. Wow, this has been so much fun. We could just talk to you all day. I can't wait till meetings are back on in person and we, we can do that. This is going to be great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you both. Well, that was a lot of fun talking to her. I could really talk to her all day. Um, I, I got a lot of good ideas about students and just she's so filled with compassion and love. What did you pick up from this, Stella? Joy from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Even when she was talking about challenging situations, there's just an underlying measure of joy inside of her. I was reminded again of beginnings and how she didn't know that she couldn't do things and how that mm -hmm. has remained in her. Even as a faculty member, she talked about how students come to her with problems so she's creating the space for students to feel comfortable coming to her about things they don't know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what started out 
for her as a very young girl is still very much a part of her. She called uh, the influence of accident, you know, uh, the boyfriend suggesting, hey, let's apply to an REU. Then she goes to this REU. She meets someone in a competition at the MAA Texas section meeting who says, well, why don't you think about a PhD? So she calls these accidental and maybe that's true to a certain extent, but it just reminds me of just suggesting ideas to people, mm-hmm. which could ultimately mm-hmm. form the next step. Mm-hmm. I loved her emphasis on movement. When she talked about her grad school community, it was all around movement, mm-hmm. running, dancing, something other than studying, was, you know, movement. Mm-hmm. And then just as you pointed out, uh, her compassion and strength, it, I want to start thinking about those as opposite sides of a sword. You know, the sword is so thin, but somehow compassion and strength seem like they are united mm-hmm. or her life in her life. They seem like they're united. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the, I like the image of movement that you just brought up because remember when she was in the one house schoolhouse, that there was just not enough space to move. She wanted to be moving. She is, she is a mover. That's right. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. That was fun. Well, thanks for joining us. We continue to count you in. And until next time, this is Della Indiana. Take care. Count Me In with Della Indiana is produced by the talented Sam Dunnewald. Music is by Casey Fenster and the podcast image is by Victoria Robinson. Victoria Robinson.